as a provider who needs to scale and go through deploying infrastructure, having server outages and HA and stuff like that, long-held connections are very difficult for us, just fundamentally. We do need to sever connections. So that kind of started the idea of what if we could do something else? And HTTP kind of popped up as, what if this was actually kind of a first-class citizen? And a lot of things built on top of HTTP kind of solve those problems because of HTTP is in stateful, it's stateless. Hi there, and welcome to Pod Rocket. I'm your host, Paul, and with me today is Matt Robinell. Matt works on the infrastructure team over at PlanetScale, and you may have recently seen his blog post titled Faster MySQL with HTTP3. Matt shared the blog post on Twitter and wrote, I simply asked the question, could we do better? And turns out, yes, we can. In our episode today, we're asking Matt, can HTTP be faster than the MySQL protocol? Matt, welcome to the podcast. Yeah, thank you. thanks for having me. So just to kick things off, what is PlanetScale for folks listening who don't know? In like 30 seconds, the shortest version you yeah, the shortest version, PlanetScale, is a hosted, managed database. Um, you are an engineer. You need to put your data somewhere. You don't want to run a database. So you just go to us, sign up, and we give you the database for you to use. Tell us how the idea for the blog post came to be. HTTP as an API to a database has been a little bit interesting to me as an infrastructure engineer. Um, and this is definitely from the planet scale side of things, not so much as a user. Scaling MySQL connections has been a challenge for us. MySQL connections are very brutal. For example, if your application is opening up MySQL connections to us, these connections, typically you as a user have to manage connection pools and things like that. So where I need 50 connections going or you need like a PG bouncer, like you mentioned earlier. And that, that kind of problem just exists because these connections are stateful, they're long held, and they're expensive on the server. So as an infrastructure provider or as a database provider, the challenges with that is we have to be able to support kind of infinitely held long connections. We don't control clients. And in reality, clients never disconnect. <laughs> which is just kind of like a, it's, it's just is what it is. Like a lot of drivers just open up a connection and it is open until their process dies, which might be days later. As a provider who needs to scale and, you know, go through deploying infrastructure, having server outages and HA and stuff like that, long held connections are very difficult for us. Uh, just fundamentally, we, we do need to sever connections. Um, so that kind of started the idea of like, what if we could do something else? Um, and HTTP kind of popped up as, what if this was actually kind of a first class citizen? And a lot of things built on top of HTTP kind of solve those problems because of HTTP is in stateful, it's stateless. And a lot of technology is built on top of HTTP these days that is very fast and efficient. You know, we, the common one would be gRPC. So gRPC is kind of just used everywhere, and that's just built on top of HTTP2. But we were just like, well, why? What if that just sort of kind of became our our actual interface or a, a potential interface for talking with PlanetScale? So it kind of came out of a need for us and just kind of an experiment of like, what if? 
But once we started kind of teasing the idea a little bit more, other ideas came out of it in that we need to be able to support other features or things that we wanted to build on that were planet scale specific that did not fit the MySQL protocol anyways. So one of those, actually two of the product features, one of them being planet scale connect, which is our ELT, which is pretty similar to ETL, but I think people are a little more familiar with ETL that works over gRPC, which is HTTP. And that's just kind of an augmentation. It doesn't exist in the MySQL protocol. It's planet scale specific and it works with gRPC. So kind of fundamentally, we needed to be able to support gRPC uh, to be able to add on new features, which just kind of snowballed into like, well, what if we kind of didn't just support gRPC? But the, the exciting part about it and kind of what led into my experimentations was a lot of people have a gut reaction with these kind of changes. You think talking to MySQL over their very refined MySQL protocol that has been battle tested for a long time is as good as it's going to get. And in reality, that's not necessarily true. It's, I think of HTTP as similar in popularity as like JSON these days. If you get down to it, JSON as a serialization format is very bad. It's very slow on paper. There's a lot of different binary encodings that are a lot better than JSON. But because JSON and HTTP are so heavily utilized, they have gotten so good. <laughs> parsers for HTTP, parsers for JSON uh, are just really, really good. Reminds me of why the V8 engine is so good. The V8 engine has been optimized yeah, exactly. Just because it's so heavily scrutinized. And that kind of got me thinking. I was like, well, what a, it, you know, especially these days when a few extra bits or a few extra bytes and stuff isn't actually worthwhile. You know, slinging an extra, even a kilobyte back and forth is not necessarily something that's going to be tangibly different. So I kind of set out to see if we can be on par with MySQL by using an HTTP transport. And my goal wasn't necessarily to say that we can do better, but to say that if we challenge our assumptions that MySQL is great, MySQL has this extremely fine-tuned protocol, if we can wrap it in HTTP, we could just not be worse. <laughs> and that was kind of like where I sent out to see if we could do that. And I kind of was targeting the modern HTTPs because those come with a lot of benefits that the uh, HTTP one doesn't have. Specifically, like the overhead of headers uh, kind of goes away in a lot of HTTP two and HTTP three, which is a bulk of like what people think of as the overhead of HTTP is that there's a big blob of headers that go along with your requests and responses, which is a lot less in, in HTTP two and three. But yeah, then it turns out and it was like, oh, this actually is pretty comparable. <laughs> and in a lot of cases, it has benefits that, you know, were kind of unexpected. Do you find that between HTTP 2, or HTTP 2, 1, 2, and 3, the, the way that the connection speed between the client and the database can change which version of the HTTP works better, like the latency between them two? So I think something I glossed over, but I touched in the blog post, is a big part of the connection, what people would perceive as latency, is the TLS connection. 
And that kind of is what I think is relevant to with the, the actual MySQL protocol. So everything we do as a service provider, we're exposed over the internet. So we obviously are having, we require TLS for encryption of the traffic. And older TLSs and establishing a connection, so let's say pre-TLS 1.3, require multiple back and forths to agree and say, okay, here, here are my ciphers, here, you know, this stuff, and establish a secure connection. The modern stuff can do that in a lot shorter round trips. So I guess the summary here, like, this is a similar problem as CDNs face. So a lot of CDNs, the best perceived performance is terminating TLS closer to you because the latency is the round trips of establishing a TLS connection. And that's like a Cloudflare proxy, right? Cloudflare, yeah. I mean, all the CDN providers, yeah. Cloudflare, Fastly, they all kind of do the same thing and that they can terminate TLS closer to you, which is most of the perceived latency of establishing a connection. So part of the... The thing that I was exploring here is that MySQL clients, so if you you in Python and you're just using MySQL or in Ruby using MySQL, TLS support in these is very poor. Because the primary target of this is I have MySQL running on my network somewhere, and the actual network is unencrypted because it's a private network for the most part. So TLS is not very robust in, in clients, if anything, in a lot of cases, non-existent because they just don't need to support it. So as a side effect of that, the much more modern TLS support is kind of lacking. Whereas, so like you're not going to get TLS 1.3 in a vast majority of your clients. So we can't just be like, get, just use TLS 1.3. Like we kind of have to, that's what people are using. But with HTTP comes a lot of modern stuff that you kind of get for free. And usually when things are using HTTP2, HTTP3, they kind of come with a more modern stack across the board and don't have a lot of that legacy cruft. HTTP3, for example, requires TLS 1.3. That's just fundamentally how it works. So you just inherently get faster stuff just by using a more modern stack, if that makes sense. Yeah, it does. And just to highlight the difference that you're talking about here it's a lot of people might discredit http because of it needs to send like headers and needs to send like extra plain text information but your your argument is like let's look one level deeper it's when one computer a wants to talk to computer b they need to do this handshake they need to send the sin the act and do this dance and that's what's taking a long time that's a part of it yeah, and I think that's what the biggest thing in my blog post reveals. And I think I didn't do the best job explaining why that's important. Like, definitely the the biggest thing that outshines is the initial connection time, because that's a... But for the most part, you can argue that that's kind of a... You pay it one time. Um, you pay that initial connection, and then once you're established between TLS 1.2 and 1.3, doesn't really matter so much. Which is kind of why I was like, can we... Even outside of that, can we maintain performance with the MySQL protocol? Even So even though the benchmarks weren't showing that we're necessarily faster in just doing a select one, you're not going to optimize a select one, right? Like it's not, You're not going to get double the performance of a select one. There's only so many bytes that are going over the wire. 
but I wanted to heavily focus on something that is, that's kind of a best case scenario, right? Like those are super fast queries. It's no data. So it should maximize the amount of bloat that we're doing by protocol overhead. So if there is measurable bloat, it would show in a select one versus something that was like a thousand rows or, or 10,000 rows is not really going to, it, our bloat is much, much less. One thing, one thing that's interesting th that immediately I'm thinking about is you're putting the onus of the developer or the implementer to sort of like manage the connection this way. That's like a fundamental difference. You're saying like, yeah, all the benefit of the TCP connection, once you make it, yeah, the TLS, excuse me, once you make it, it's fine. You don't have to worry about it. Well, then you have to manage your connection correctly. You have to pass it around correctly. You have to open and close it and be mindful. Yeah, so part of what I was hoping to accomplish with that was by using HTTP isn't worse, <laughs> which to me was a big win, right? And that if we can say that this is comparable, this now becomes something that we can explore if we can actually write drivers based on HTTP because there are other tangible benefits. It's arguable if that benefit is good for you to say, like, do you care about cold startup times or if not? But if we can say that doing this is not worse and has these tangible benefits, even if those tangible benefits aren't applicable to you, that's kind of a bit easier sell. If it was we're worse across the board here, you're going to do your select ones and it's worse, but we have a faster cold startup time, you know, that's it's it's a little bit harder sell. So the goal was seeing if we can be comparable to MySQL and have some benefits in edge cases, which we do in both the cold start time and large payloads was kind of the other extreme that I wanted to test. They're tangibly better. Environments like serverless, we get other tangible benefits because we're potentially traversing larger geographic distances. Whereas traditionally you were next door to your database, when you deploy serverless, you're potentially have go from Europe to the US or whatever you're trying to do. And those are kind of the problems that HTTP3 and Quick specifically were attempting to solve is optimizing for those cases, which those kind of things are appealing to us. And Quick is just another like communication protocol for folks unfamiliar. Yes, yeah, so you can. So Quick is the best summary is it's kind of like a modern TCP. It's built on top of UDP, which gives people some assumptions of what that means. But it's it's mostly if you think of UDP as a primitive, uh, Quick is kind of a, a competitor to TCP. In theory, it should exist in the kernel and just be something that is provided by the system. But because it's new, it's it's not and kind of needs to be brought along as, as a library. But maybe in the future, though. Do you see uh, the work that you and the team have been doing as potential grounds for like uh, how we in general, whether it be in this context or not, communicate with databases. Yeah. So, so that was also part of some of some of the the goals here. Once we kind of were seeing this isn't bad, uh, we kind of wanted to see what could we do to push the envelope here. So obviously, some stuff like drivers based on HTTP would kind of be the first step, and that that's kind of what got into the serverless implementation. Another use case for us, which is very niche to us, is our a feature that we have is you can fire up a MySQL console within the product. That is just going from the browser talking to your database over 
our serverless driver and using the HTTP API. So because we're fetch compatible, we could just run within the browser and you just make queries to us just like without going through like an intermediate hop or anything like that. You can talk directly to the database. But kind of what we were trying to do is with with HTTP2 and HTTP3, we're, we're kind of fighting an uphill battle with it because HTTP3 is especially niche, which is what kind of made this a little bit more interesting to test if, if we can provide tangible evidence that HTTP3 has benefits over HTTP2, even in our use cases, if we can help drive adoption and, and be able to say like, hey, this is actually better. You can't use it today because no one implements this. But if you did, <laughs> here are tangible benefits that you can get from it. And that's what made this a little bit more appealing to us. Like things like service providers like Vercel and whatnot, when you're relying on their infrastructure and their runtimes to do the HTTP requests, like you're just using their APIs. You're kind of at their mercy. You can't just tell Vercel do HTTP3. You can't bring in your HTTP3 library and use it. So part of this is a compelling thing to be like, hey, if you, can you work with us or can we motivate you to try to give you a compelling reason to implement that. Because in a lot of cases, it's not really worthwhile for people. Like, it's not that tangibly beneficial in a lot of cases to get these kind of marginal gains. But in these cases, databases are used to being fast. And cold startup times in serverless environments do have a really big impact. So if you can cut down latency, especially from, say, like EU to the US and remove... 100 milliseconds from that startup time, that's very tangible. But there's only so much we can do in this world because we don't control all of that runtime, which is why this was like a big kind of proof of concept of like, what if? <laughs> and that's kind of where we're at now. We have like, we have some numbers, we have data, and we're like, oh, that's pretty cool. I like, I know in Cloudflare workers, I can't even use HTTP3, to my knowledge. You probably can on their load balancer. So you can probably communicate with it over HTTP3, but nothing that they communicate with out of it is going to do HTTP3. Gotcha. Okay, yeah. And that's just, and I'm, I'm sure there's like a lot of examples of these limitations. If you were just to do something in Python, like it's not trivial to get HTTP3 because there's just not a lot of demand. There's not a lot of things that would benefit from using it, which is kind of what part of, like it's a chicken and egg thing. The things don't exist because there's not demand for it. So if we can help drive demand and be like, hey, this is relevant outside of a web browser, we can maybe get libraries and be able to use it. Um, it it's definitely quite a bit more forward thinking than a lot of things. I mean, the biggest gain that it seems like there's has been found is from HTTP 1 to 2, though. Yeah, absolutely. Because that's where you get like significant lean more lean of a protocol and a lot of things support two well more than one at least so you can find that a little bit more common so do you feel like people are going to move off of like this is we're talking about using like if i'm just going back to the url example my sql colon slash slash that's the protocol we're talking about do you think that like in the future people would be just using http to set up like normal frameworks is that's the hope is that the hope that you would have 
Personally, I would hope for that because that's what I like. Like, I, there's a lot of benefits from us as a service provider. So there, there's a lot of selfish reasons why I think it would be nice. Being a stateless protocol allows us to like, just like you do your normal connection to Google or whatever you're doing, you're not interrupted by Google, like turning off a server and turning on a new one, you know, or doing auto scale kind of stuff. Like it's just not impacted by HTTP because we can distribute those requests around. So as a selfish reason, it is very beneficial for us to be able to do it. I think in our, a lot of niche use cases of serverless and things like that, we have to, as a necessity, but it's also, we, we can improve it by like doing HTTP three. So I, I think like, to me, my goal is like, this stuff should be transparent to you as a user. You shouldn't have to know, like, am I using HTTP or MySQL? Like it, we should just give you something that works. And if we were to publish, for example, a planet scale driver, it would just use what we want to use. And you d- wouldn't necessarily know unless you looked into it, why it was using HTTP. Do you do you see that being in any way a hybrid world in the future? Yeah, MySQL is not going anywhere. Like at the end of the day, like th- this just is so ingrained in culture and stuff that it's it's not fundamentally going anywhere. We're never going to convince all of our customers to say use our specific driver. There might be cases where we can say like, hey, you're having poor performance. If you switch to this, it's better for you. But in in reality, like it, we're just not gonna. We have to support it. It's never going away. I won't say never, but probably not in my career. You mentioned in the blog post you were surprised by some results. Can you share more about what you were expecting? Yeah, I mean, I was expecting... I knew a benefit of the TLS handshake. That That's an obvious one. Um, but I didn't really ex- anticipate the performance parity, I guess. Like, the fact that we were able to not have a tangible difference in a select one was something that really did stand out. I thought that example specifically would, would show our weakness. I thought very specific, because that is the one, like I mentioned earlier, it's going to have the most bloat to data relation ratio, right? It's the most overhead of headers to your select one that's returning back a one. (laughs) So that was kind of the the obvious one that I thought would be worse and the fact that it wasn't. And just to clarify for myself as well, the reason why that select one is the biggest, we expect to be the biggest bloat is because it's like the potential benefit of it being stateless is the the minimal. And the overhead to actually do it is, is, it's there. You still have to pay it. If you're you're going to pick an example, if we were to put this in a ratio of data bytes versus protocol bytes. So if we're thinking like the rest of HTTP, the the headers and all of that stuff are occupying X amount of bytes, your data itself is Y amount of bytes, right? If we think of the MySQL protocol, even if you're not familiar with it, it's pretty lean. Like there's not overhead of the protocol because you already have like, they're just kind of well-defined packets. Whereas a larger response, if we're returning back megabytes of data, the ratio of headers and stuff kind of goes away. Like, you know, adding in, a f- you know, 10 bytes of, you know, or 100 bytes of headers is not something that's going to make a difference when it's a 50 megabyte response, right? Like the ratio is so small. So on a select one, when you think effectively, I'm returning back one row, one column, single digit, headers are going to be a larger ratio of to data 
so that was kind of that extreme angle of wanting to make sure that that wasn't too bad. And I think if we were to run this test, you know, 20, 30 years ago, that would have been substantial because our networks aren't that fast and computers are a lot slower. But at this point, like I'm like, it's basically still going to fit in like one network packet. Like it's still small enough, especially with HTTP two and three, because you have header compression and all that, that there's really not that much bloat. The other side that I was shocked about the results on, these are hard to quantify because the results being the same are what's shocking. It's not so much that they're better. The connection within, so I I did two testing scenarios. One was like from my laptop, which is intended to be the worst case scenario, right? I'm like on Wi-Fi from my personal computer to something that is geographically in the next state. Like it is meant to be kind of a janky worst case where I knew HTTP would excel or specifically HTTP 3 in that case. But testing the basically local host of, I have my database in the same data center as my running application. I expected some of these things to start coming up because it's already so fast and it still didn't have any tangible overhead, which is, it sounds not very exciting, but it is very exciting when the result is kind of intuition is to be worse, if that makes sense. And the fact that we weren't worse is what makes all of this viable in that we have, we're not worse for the best case scenarios and we're better in the edge cases. I anticipated the edge cases to be good. Didn't anticipate the fast cases to be, I expected them to be slightly worse, but I didn't expect them to be comparable. Did you feel shocked when that happened? Were you just like, I was kind of just like internally like DMing, you know, some of our uh, like VP of engineering and the CEO of being like, huh, (laughs) this is actually pretty good. And that's when we were kind of like, we should talk about this. Um, This was very much like me just experimenting and being like, I'm curious what this will do. But it became pretty, pretty clear that this was neat and a lot better than we thought. Matt, thank you for walking through your what I mean, we can call them the escapades into the research of HTTP and interacting with MySQL. Um, if you specifically want to look at some of the things that Matt was talking about, because he's saying, oh, I ran this test and 100 milliseconds in those tests. These results that Matt and his group like went over are available online. You can look at them in a blog post that we can link under the podcast. If you wanted to suggest that people look into this field in general for them for themselves, are there any other like projects out there that you found interesting when you were like getting into this or other GitHub projects? This is relatively unprecedented, which is what's a little bit more unique for us talking about this and that there's other ways people solve like the serverless issue. Like we're not the first database that you can query from that requires HTTP. Usually like things like Firebase and stuff like that kind of have their own APIs that kind of do it's like Firebase is not SQL. Like they don't have that kind of stuff. Other people have implemented it using something like WebSockets and things like that, which are kind of a, uh, it's not, it doesn't give you all the benefits that we have. I'm not going to get into like why, but it's, it's kind of just fundamentally a different solution. But our take has kind of been, 
it's pretty unique. <laughs> so I, I'd say no, that there's not really. I think that the, the relevant stuff is learning HTTP3 and learning about Quick. I think those are both just interesting technology. It's extremely widespread now, these days for web browsers, but not so much implement outside of that. Server-side stuff just doesn't really exist, and it's all very immature, which is something that I kind of brought up in my my blog post too, in that some of the edge cases, the performance of HTTP3 were subpar relative to HTTP2. And I think a lot of that is still, without me investing the time into researching that, I think a lot of it is performance tuning of like libraries and implementation. Like TCP is extremely refined. It's been around forever. It's highly, highly optimized. Quick, HTTP3, they're all very new. So I'm, I'm assuming that there's a good amount of room for improving their implementations. But at a face value, they're already arguably improvements over their predecessors. But there's, but there's a lot of room to improve, so. Yeah, and I think that's part of what's appealing about this too is that like the amount of effort that I've put into this is relatively low. <laughs> to to get these kind of results. And I think that there nothing has been put into actual performance metrics and analyzing memory allocations and things like that and really trying to fine-tune this. This was kind of just a quick proof of concept and see, and it was very good results without really doing anything. Those are the best results. I like results where I don't do much and I get really good results. Which is why that's appealing, because it's like, imagine if we, you know, invest a few years into this, you know, or something that you can actually probably get a lot bigger gains. Well, Matt, thank you for your time and for talking about the research. I mean, this, this like you noted, like this is research that you, you and your group are doing. And hopefully you're going to help change the database world as we move on in the next like five or 10 years. Hopefully. We'll, we'll see. We're trying. I'm rooting for you.